This is section 22 of Happy Homes and the Hearts That Make Them by Samuel Smiles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 22 Manner Art A beautiful behavior is better than a beautiful form. It gives a higher pleasure than statues and pictures. It is the finest of the fine arts. Emerson manners are often too much neglected they are most important to men no less than to women life is too short to get over a bad manner besides manners are the shadows of virtues rev sidney smith manner is one of the principal external graces of character it is the ornament of action and often makes the commonest offices beautiful by the way in which it performs them it is a happy way of doing things adorning even the smallest details of life and contributing to render it as a whole agreeable and pleasant manner has a good deal to do with the estimation in which men are held by the world and it has often more influence in the government of others than qualities of much greater depth and substance a manner at once gracious and cordial is among the greatest aids to success and many there are who fail for want of it locke thought it of greater importance that an educator of youth should be well bred and well tempered than that he should be either a thorough classicist or man of science while rudeness and gruffness bar doors and shut hearts kindness and propriety of behavior in which good manners consist act as an open sesame everywhere doors unbar before them and they are a passport to the hearts of everybody young and old there is a common saying that manners make the man but this is not so true as that man makes the manners a man may be gruff and even rude and yet be good at heart and of sterling character yet he would doubtless be a much more agreeable and probably a much more useful man were he to exhibit that suavity of disposition and courtesy of manner which always gives a finish to the true gentleman a man's manner to a certain extent indicates his character it is the external exponent of his inner nature it indicates his taste his feelings and his temper as well as the society to which he has been accustomed there is a conventional manner which is of comparatively little importance but the natural manner the outcome of natural gifts improved by careful self-culture signifies a great deal grace of manner is inspired by sentiment which is a source of no slight enjoyment to a cultivated mind viewed in this light sentiment is of almost as much importance as talents and acquirements while it is even more influential in giving the direction to a man's tastes and character sympathy is the golden key that unlocks the hearts of others it not only teaches politeness and courtesy but gives insight and unfolds wisdom and may almost be regarded as the crowning grace of humanity artificial rules of politeness are of very little use what passes by the name of etiquette is often the essence of 
unpoliteness and untruthfulness it consists in a great measure of posture-making and is easily seen through even at best etiquette is but a substitute for good manners though it is often but their mere counterfeit good manners consist for the most part in courteousness and kindness politeness has been described as the art of showing by external signs the internal regard we have for others but one may be perfectly polite to another without necessarily paying a special regard for him good manners are neither more nor less than beautiful behavior it has been well said that a beautiful form is better than a beautiful face and a beautiful behavior is better than a beautiful form it give a higher pleasure than statues or pictures it is the finest of the fine arts the truest politeness comes of sincerity it must be the outcome of the heart or it will make no lasting impression for no amount of polish can dispense with truthfulness the natural character must be allowed to appear freed of its angularities and asperities though politeness in its best form should resemble water best when clearest most simple and without taste yet genius in a man will always cover many defects of manner and much will be excused to the strong and the original without genuineness and individuality human life would lose much of its interest and variety as well as its manliness and robustness of character true politeness especially exhibits itself in regard for the personality of others a man will respect the individuality of another if he wishes to be respected himself he will have due regard for his views and opinions even though they differ from his own the well-mannered man pays a compliment to another and sometimes even secures his respect by patiently listening to him he is simply tolerant and forbearant and refrains from judging harshly and harsh judgment of others will almost invariably provoke harsh judgments of ourselves the impolite impulsive man will however sometimes rather lose his friend than his joke he may surely be pronounced a very foolish person who secures another's hatred at the price of a moment's gratification it was a saying of bernal the engineer himself one of the kindest natured of men that spite and ill-nature are among the most expensive luxuries in life dr johnson once said sir a man has no more right to say an uncivil thing than to act one no more right to say a rude thing to another than to knock him down want of respect for the feelings of others usually originates in selfishness and issues in hardness and repulsiveness of manner it may not proceed from malignity so much as from want of sympathy and want of delicacy a want of that perception of and attention to those little and apparently trifling things by which pleasure is given or pain occasioned to others indeed it may be said that in self-sacrifice in the ordinary intercourse of life mainly consists the difference between being well and ill-bred 
without some degree of self-restraint in society a man may be found almost insufferable no one has pleasure in holding intercourse with such a person and he is a constant source of annoyance to those about him for want of self-restraint many men are engaged all their lives in fighting with difficulties of their own making and rendering success impossible by their own cross-grained rudeness while others much less gifted make their way and achieve success by simple patience equanimity and self-control it has been said that men succeed in life quite as much by their temper as by their talents however this may be it is certain that their happiness depends mainly on their temperament especially upon their disposition to be cheerful upon their complacence kindliness of manner and willingness to oblige others details of conduct which are like the small change in the intercourse of life and are always in request men may show their disregard of others in various impolite ways as for instance by neglect of propriety in dress by the absence of cleanliness or by indulging in repulsive habits the slovenly dirty person by rendering himself physically disagreeable sets the tastes and feelings of others at defiance and is rude and uncivil only under another form the perfection of manner is ease that it attracts no man's notice as such but is natural and unaffected artifice is incompatible with courteous frankness of manner rochefoucault has said that nothing so much prevents our being natural as the desire of appearing so thus we come round again to sincerity and truthfulness which find their outward expression in graciousness urbanity kindliness and consideration for the feelings of others the frank and cordial man sets those above him at their ease he warms and elevates them by his presence and wins all hearts thus manner in its highest form like character becomes a genuine motive power the love and admiration says canon kingsley which that truly brave and loving man sir sidney smith won from every one rich and poor with whom he came in contact seems to have arisen from the one fact that without perhaps having any such conscious intention he treated rich and poor his own servants and the noblemen his guests alike courteously considerately cheerfully affectionately so leaving a blessing and reaping a blessing wherever he went men who toil with their hands equally with those who do not may respect themselves and respect one another it is by their demeanor to each other in other words by their manners that self-respect as well as mutual respect are indicated there is scarcely a moment in their lives the enjoyment of which might not be enhanced by kindliness of this sort in the workshop in the street or at home the civil workman will exercise increased power among his class and gradually induce them to imitate him by his persistent steadiness civility and kindness one may be polite and gentle with very little money in his purse politeness goes far 
yet costs nothing it is the cheapest of all commodities it is the humblest of the fine arts yet it is so useful and pleasure-giving that it might almost be ranked among the humanities the french and germans of even the humblest classes are gracious in manner complacent cordial and well-bred the foreign workman lifts his cap and respectfully salutes his fellow workmen in passing there is no sacrifice of manliness in this but grace and dignity even the lowest poverty of the foreign workpeople is not misery simply because it is cheerful good taste is a true economist it may be practiced on small means and sweeten the lot of labor as well as of ease it is all the more enjoyed indeed when associated with industry and the performance of duty even the lot of poverty is elevated by taste it exhibits itself in the economies of the household it gives brightness and grace to the humblest dwelling it produces refinement it engenders goodwill and creates an atmosphere of cheerfulness thus good taste associated with kindliness sympathy and intelligence may elevate and adorn even the lowliest lot the first and best school of manners as of character is always the home where woman is the teacher the manners of society at large are but the reflex of the manners of our collective homes neither better nor worse yet with all the disadvantages of ungenial homes men may practice self-culture of manner as of intellect and learn by good examples to cultivate a graceful and agreeable behavior towards others most men are like so many gems in the rough which need polishing by contact with other and better natures to bring out their full beauty and lustre some have but one side polished sufficient only to show the delicate graining of the interior but to bring out the full qualities of the gem needs the discipline of experience and contact with the best examples of character in the intercourse of daily life a good deal of the success of manner consists in tact and it is because women on the whole have greater tact than men that they prove the most influential teachers they have more self-restraint than men and are naturally more gracious and polite they possess an intuitive quickness and readiness of action have a keener insight into character and exhibit greater discrimination and address in matters of social detail aptness and dexterity come to them like nature and hence well-mannered men usually receive their best culture by mixing in the society of gentle and adroit women tact is an intuitive art of manner which carries one through a difficulty better than either talent or knowledge talent says a public writer is power tact is skill talent is weight tact is momentum talent knows what to do tact knows how to do it talent makes a man respectable tact makes him respected talent is wealth tact is ready money at a gathering in australia not long since four persons met three of them were shepherds on a sheep farm one of these had taken a degree at oxford 
another at Cambridge, the third at a German university. The fourth was their employer, a squatter, rich in flocks and herds, but scarcely able to read or write, much less to keep accounts. The difference between a man of quick tact and of no tact whatever was exemplified in an interview which once took place between Lord Palmerston and Mr. Bennis, the sculptor. At the last sitting which Lord Palmerston gave him, Bennis opened the conversation with, "'Any news, my lord, from France? How do we stand with Louis Napoleon?' The Foreign Secretary raised his eyebrows for an instant and quickly replied, "'Really, Mr. Bennis, I don't know. I have not seen the newspapers.' Poor Bennis, with many excellent qualities and much real talent, was one of the many men who entirely missed their way in life through want of tact. Such is the power of manner combined with tact, that Wilkes, one of the ugliest of men, used to say that, in winning the graces of a lady, there was not more than three days' difference between him and the handsomest man in England. But this reference to Wilkes reminds us that too much importance must not be attached to manner, for it does not afford any genuine test of character. The well-mannered man may, like Wilkes, be merely acting a part, and that for an immoral purpose. Manner, like all other fine arts, gives pleasure, and is exceedingly agreeable to look upon, but it may be assumed as a disguise, as men assume a virtue though they have it not it is but the exterior sign of good conduct but may be no more than skin deep the most highly polished person may be thoroughly depraved in heart and his superfine manners may after all only consist in pleasing gestures and in fine phrases on the other hand, it must be acknowledged that some of the richest and most generous natures have been wanting in the graces of courtesy and politeness. As a rough rind sometimes covers the sweetest fruit, so a rough exterior often conceals a kindly and hearty nature. The blunt man may seem even rude in manner, and yet at heart be honest, kind, and gentle john knox and martin luther were by no means distinguished for their urbanity they had work to do which needed strong and determined rather than well-mannered men indeed they were both thought to be unnecessarily harsh and violent in their manner and who art thou said mary queen of scots to knox that presumest to school the nobles and sovereign of this realm madam replied knox a subject born within the same it is said that his boldness or roughness more than once made queen mary weep when regent morton heard of this he said well tis better that women would weep than bearded men as knox was retiring from the queen's presence on one occasion he overheard one of the royal attendants say to another he is not afraid turning round upon them he said and why should the pleasing face of a gentleman frighten me i have looked on the faces of angry men and yet have not been afraid beyond measure when the reformer worn out by excess of labor and anxiety was at length laid to his rest the regent 
looking down into the open grave exclaimed in words which made a strong impression from their aptness and truth there lies he who never feared the face of man luther also was thought by some to be a mere compound of violence and ruggedness but as in the case of knox the times in which he lived were rude and violent and the work he had to do could scarcely have been accomplished with gentleness and suavity to rouse europe from its lethargy he had to speak and to write with force and even vehemence yet luther's vehemence was only in words his apparently rude exterior covered a warm heart in private life he was gentle loving and affectionate he was simple and homely even to commonness fond of all common pleasures and enjoyments he was anything but an austere man or a bigot for he was hearty genial and even jolly luther was the common people's hero in his lifetime and he remains so in germany to this day samuel johnson was rude and often gruff in manner but he had been brought up in a rough school poverty in early life had made him acquainted with strange companions he had wandered in the streets with savage for nights together unable between them to raise money enough to pay for a bed when his indomitable courage and industry at length secured for him a footing in society he still bore upon him the scars of his early sorrows and struggles he was by nature strong and robust and his experience made him unaccommodating and self-asserting when he was once asked why he was not invited to dine out as garrick was he answered because great lords and ladies did not like to have their mouths stopped and johnson was a notorious mouth-stopper though what he said was always worth listening to johnson's companion spoke of him as ursa major but as goldsmith generously said of him no man alive has a more tender heart he has nothing of the bear about him but his skin the kindliness of johnson's nature was shown on one occasion by the manner in which he assisted a supposed lady in crossing fleet street he gave her his arm and led her across not observing that she was in liquor at the time but the spirit of the act was not the less kind on that account on the other hand the conduct of the bookseller on whom johnson once called to solicit employment and who regarding his athletic but uncouth person told him he had better go buy a porter's knot and carry trunks in howsoever bland tones the advice might have been communicated was simply brutal while captiousness of manner and the habit of disputing and contradicting everything said is chilling and repulsive the opposite habit of assenting to and sympathizing with every statement made or emotion expressed is almost equally disagreeable it is unmanly and is felt to be dishonest it may seem difficult says richard sharp to steer always between bluntness and plain dealing between giving merited praise and lavishing indiscriminate flattery but it is very easy good humor kind-heartedness and 
perfect simplicity being all that are requisite to do what is right in the right way at the same time many are impolite not because they mean to be so but because they are awkward and perhaps know no better thus when gibbon had published the second and third volumes of his decline and fall the duke of cumberland met him one day and accosted him with how do you do mr gibbon i see you are always at it in the old way scribble 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 the duke probably intended to pay the author a compliment but did not know how better to do it than in this blunt and apparently rude way again many persons are thought to be stiff reserved and proud when they are only shy shyness is characteristic of most people of teutonic race from all that can be learned of shakespeare it is to be inferred that he was an exceedingly shy man the manner in which his plays were sent into the world for it is not known that he edited or authorized the publication of a single one of them and the dates at which they respectively appeared are mere matters of conjecture his appearance in his own plays in second and even third-rate parts his indifference to reputation and even his apparent aversion to be held in repute by his contemporaries his disappearance from london the seat and centre of histrionic art so soon as he had realized a moderate competency and his retirement about the age of forty for the remainder of his days to a life of obscurity in a small town in the midland counties all seemed to unite in proving the shrinking nature of the man and his unconquerable shyness but a still more recent and striking instance is that of the late archbishop whatley who in the early part of his life was painfully oppressed by the sense of shyness when at oxford his white rough coat and white hat obtained for him the sobriquet of the white bear and his manners according to his own account of himself corresponded with the appellation he was directed by way of remedy to copy the example of the best-mannered men he met in society but the attempt to do this only increased his shyness and he failed he found that he was all the while thinking of himself rather than of others whereas thinking of others rather than of oneself is the true essence of politeness finding that he was making no progress whatley was driven to utter despair and then he said to himself why should i endure this torture all my life to no purpose i would bear it still if there was any success to be hoped for but since there is not i will die quietly without taking any more doses i have tried my very utmost and find that i must be as awkward as a bear all my life in spite of it i will endeavor to think as little about it as a bear and make up my mind to endure what can't be cured from this time forth he struggled to shake off all consciousness as to manner and to disregard censure as much as possible in adopting this course he says i succeeded beyond my expectations for i not only got rid of the personal suffering of shyness but also of most of those faults of manner which consciousness produces and acquired at once an easy and natural manner careless indeed in the extreme from its originating in a stern defiance of opinion which i had convinced myself must be ever against me but unconscious 
and therefore giving expression to that good will towards men which i really feel and these i believe are the main points washington who was an englishman in his lineage was also one in his shyness he is described incidentally by mr josiah quincy as a little stiff in his person not a little formal in his manner and not particularly at ease in the presence of strangers he had the air of a country gentleman not accustomed to mix much in society perfectly polite but not easy in address and conversation and not graceful in his movements true politeness is best evinced by self-forgetfulness or self-denial in the interest of others mr garfield our martyred president was a gentleman of royal type his friend colonel rockwell says of him in the midst of his suffering he never forgets others for instance to-day he said to me rockwell there is a poor soldier's widow who came to me before this thing occurred and i promised her she would be provided for i want you to see that the matter is attended to at once he is the most docile patient i ever saw although we are not accustomed to think of modern americans as shy the most distinguished american author of our time was probably the shyest of men nathaniel hawthorne was shy to the extent of morbidity we have observed him when a stranger entered the room where he was turn his back for the purpose of avoiding recognition and yet when the crust of his shyness was broken no man could be more cordial and genial than hawthorne we observe a remark in one of hawthorne's lately published notebooks that on one occasion he met mr helps in society and found him cold and doubtless mr helps thought the same of him it was only the case of two shy men meeting each thinking the other stiff and reserved and parting before their mutual film of shyness had been removed by a little friendly intercourse we have thus far spoken of shyness as a defect but there is another way of looking at it for even shyness has its bright side and contains an element of good shy men and shy races are ungraceful and undemonstrative because as regards society at large they are comparatively unsociable they do not possess those elegances of manner acquired by free intercourse which distinguish the social graces because their tendency is to shun society rather than to seek it they are shy in the presence of strangers and shy even in their own families they hide their affections under a robe of reserve and when they do give way to their feelings it is only in some very hidden inner chamber and yet the feelings are there and not the less healthy and genuine that they are not made the subject of exhibition to others it was not a little characteristic of the ancient germans that the more social and demonstrative peoples by whom they were surrounded should have characterized them as the dumb men and the same designation might equally apply to the modern english as compared for example with their nimbler more communicative and vocal and in all respects more social neighbors the modern french and irish but there is one characteristic which marks the english people as it did the races from which they have mainly sprung and that is their intense love of home give the englishman a home 
and he is comparatively indifferent to society for the sake of a holding which he can call his own he will cross the sea plant himself on the prairie or amidst the primeval forest and make for himself a home the solitude of the wilderness has no fears for him the society of his wife and family is sufficient and he cares for no other hence it is that the people of germanic origin from whom the english and americans have alike sprung make the best of colonizers and are now rapidly extending themselves as emigrants and settlers in all parts of the habitable globe to remedy this admitted defect of grace and want of artistic taste in the english people a school has sprung up among us for the more general diffusion of fine art the beautiful has now its teachers and preachers and by some it is almost regarded in the light of a religion the beautiful is the good the beautiful is the true the beautiful is the priest of the benevolent are among their texts it is believed that by the study of art the tastes of the people may be improved that by contemplating objects of beauty their nature will become purified and that by being thereby withdrawn from sensual enjoyments their character will be refined and elevated but though such culture is calculated to be elevating and purifying in a certain degree we must not expect too much from it grace is a sweetener and embellisher of life and as such is worthy of cultivation music painting dancing and the fine arts are all sources of pleasure and though they may not be sensual yet they are sensuous and often nothing more the cultivation of a taste for beauty of form or color of sound or attitude has no necessary effect upon the cultivation of the mind or the development of the character the contemplation of fine works of art will doubtless improve the taste and excite admiration but a single noble action done in the sight of men will more influence the mind and stimulate the character to imitation than the sight of miles of statuary or acres of pictures for it is mind soul and heart not taste or art that make men great art has usually flourished most during the decadence of nations when it has been hired by wealth as the minister of luxury exquisite art and degrading corruption were contemporary in greece as well as in rome phidias and ictinus had scarcely completed the parthenon when the glory of athens had departed phidias died in prison and the spartans set up in the city the memorials of their own triumph and of athenian defeat it was the same in ancient rome where art was at its greatest height when the people were in their most degraded condition nero was an artist as well as domitian two of the greatest monsters of the empire if the beautiful had been the good commodus must have been one of the best of men but according to history he was one of the worst again the greatest period of modern roman art was that in which pope leo x flourished of whose reign it has been said that profligacy and licentiousness prevailed among the people and clergy as they had done almost uncontrolled ever since the pontificate of alexander the sixth 
in like manner the period at which art reached its highest point in the low countries was that which immediately succeeded the destruction of civil and religious liberty and the prostration of the national character under the despotism of spain if art could elevate a nation and the contemplation of the beautiful were calculated to make men good then paris ought to contain a population of the wisest and best of human beings rome also is a great city of art and yet there the virtus or valor of the ancient romans has characteristically degenerated into virtu or a taste for knick-knacks while according to recent accounts the city itself is inexpressibly foul art would even sometimes appear to have a connection with dirt and it is said of mr ruskin that when searching for works of art in venice his attendant in his explorations would sniff an ill odor and when it was strong would say now we are coming to something very old and fine meaning in art a little common education in cleanliness where it is wanting would probably be much more improving as well as wholesome than any amount of education in fine art ruffles are all very well but it is folly to cultivate them to the neglect of the shirt while therefore grace of manner politeness of behavior elegance of demeanor and all the arts that contribute to make life pleasant and beautiful are worthy of cultivation it must not be at the expense of the more solid and enduring qualities of honesty sincerity and truthfulness the fountain of beauty must be in the heart more than in the eye and if it do not tend to produce beautiful life and noble practice it will prove of comparatively little avail politeness of manner is not worth much unless it is accompanied by polite actions grace may be but skin-deep very pleasant and attractive and yet very heartless art may be a source of innocent enjoyment and an important aid to higher culture but unless it leads to higher culture it may be merely sensuous and when art is merely sensuous it is enfeebling and demoralizing rather than strengthening or elevating honest courage is of greater worth than any amount of grace purity is better than elegance and cleanliness of body mind and heart than any amount of fine art while the cultivation of the graces is not to be neglected it should never be forgotten that there is something far higher and nobler to be aimed at greater than pleasure greater than art greater than wealth greater than power greater than intellect greater than genius and that is purity and excellence of character without a solid sterling basis of individual goodness all the grace elegance and art in the world would fail to save or elevate a people end of chapter twenty two manner art read by john greenman